Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In accordance with COVID-19 guidelines from the government, we're continuing to record this podcast remotely to ensure the safety of our guests and our team. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks well-known friends three thought-provoking questions washed down with three delicious glasses of wine. And this week, I'm joined by a man who's been playing Cupid on Channel 4's first dates since its launch seven years ago. He's been there maitre d' having spent his entire professional life managing the front of house for some of the best restaurants here in the UK and back in his homeland of France. Born and raised in Le Mange, he studied at a catering college in France before moving to London to begin his journey in Michelin-starred restaurants including Le Tonclair, Le Gavroche, Sartoria and Brasserie Rue before spending the last 14 years as the general manager at Galvin at Windows, a Michelin-starred restaurant that sits high on the 28th floor of the London Hilton Hotel on Park Lane. As well as first dates, he's also been on our screens, travelling the world, finding the most remarkable places to eat for BBC Two, as well as touring the world with a bit of a boys' road trip with Gino DeCampo and Gordon Ramsay for Gordon, Gino and Fred's road trip. He's now the new face of Marks and Spencer's Wine, giving frequent recommendations on his IGTV, as well as Fred's Wednesday Wine Club, where he posts wine recommendations to his Instagram followers every Wednesday. When he's not on screen, he's a father of two who lives with his fiancée, who he affectionately calls Fruitcake at his home in Peckham. I am so excited to have him on the show, so let's dial up. Fred Syriax. You are the first guest ever to send their own wine. Oh, brilliant. I wanted to start the podcast with your wine choices. So you select which glass we're going with first. Which of these four bottles that you've had sent over would you like me to pop a cork on? Uh, let's do the Bordeaux. The Bordeaux? Okay, yes. the Claret. Yeah. Okay. Okay, which takes us nicely into question number one. What I wanted you to do is drill into your wealth of knowledge and experience and select for me, if you can, three wines. It doesn't have to be any of the ones that we have here that you would pair with three amazing moments or life experiences that you've had. Well, look, um, I've recently uh, worked with uh, M&S um, to launch their Classics range. And they have this beautiful claret. Now, I love it that they call it claret and not Bordeaux because claret is the old-fashioned name. And, um, you know, I've got some really, really fond memories of claret. Uh, my dad used to do the harvest. Uh, I had a friend of his who, who had a vineyard when he was younger, I mean, you're talking when he was 25, 30, and I was a very young boy. And what he used to do when he used to come back from the vineyard, he did not get paid. He used to get paid in wine. So <laughs> whenever we had family dinners, you know, it was always the wine that he would put on the table. 
And for me, unconsciously, I think this is why Bordeaux is my favorite wine. Now, there are so many wines that I love. I mean, I love Burgundy, but there's always this kind of a emotional connection with Bordeaux because of uh, my dad and the way he was doing the harvest. And every time he was opening the bottle of wine, he was saying the same thing. He's opening a bottle of wine like that, making a great big noise. And he says, do you recognize the way that I cut the grapes with my scissors here? Do you recognize my hand in there? And of course, everything. Yes, Claude, it's very nice. Anyway, it was a lovely wine. But what I love about this wine that Mark, Marks and Spencer have done is that it's a typical example of a young Bordeaux. It's lovely, it's fruity, it's well-balanced, uh, it's full of life, it's very vibrant. And this is a kind of wine that you want to drink now. Now, this is not a wine that you would keep on the shelf you know, for a number of years. This is something that you drink now or within the next few months. And it's delicious um, with a, a roast dinner, for example, or just on its own, watching TV, a nice glass of red. It's beautiful. Really, really beautiful. I don't normally opt for a claret if I'm going for a red. I'm normally a Malbec or a Rioja. So it's really nice to have my, my taste buds retuned. Thank you. And I tell you that Malbec is one of the grapes that goes into making Bordeaux. A lot of the wine in Bordeaux are made with Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Malbec and Merlot. So this is the blend, the main Bordeaux blend. Now, uh, they would have different percentage of each of the grapes depending on where you are. For example, if you're in Pomerol, if you're thinking about Chateau Petrus, which is probably the most expensive wine in the world, it's made with almost 100% Merlot. But depending <laughs> where you are, you've got different, uh, different grapes. Like Malbec, for example, is produced a lot in a region next door to Bordeaux, uh, which is Cahors. This is 100% Malbec. Now, because of the way the wine is made, it's more tannic, it's more, it's a rich, uh, really kind of, um, really robust wine. Um, and it's, when it's well made, it's absolutely delicious. But you know, you talked about something here that's very important, is a lot of people are intimidated with wines. And the reason for that is people can't read labels. They do not know what the wine, where the wine comes from, and yeah. how, as a result, it is made. Now, because yeah. of my training, because I've, I've studied wine and, and, and food at Catering College, this is something that I understand. Now, I'm not a wine expert, you know, in, 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 in the expert term of, in the expert meaning of the, the term, you know, um, but I understand wine enough to know where they come from, the kind of taste, uh, the winemakers and how the wine is, you know, and that, that's, that's all you need, really. And, yeah. and, and the love for the appreciation of, um, of the different wines that you're going to get, like, I just sent you this bottle of uh, Corbière as well. Yes. Uh, so Corbière is a delicious wine. This is made in a Languedoc-Roussillon. Now, what's interesting with this region, and this is also coming from the MNS uh, classic range, uh, Languedoc-Roussillon used to be a region in France that were producing uh, wine of poor quality, mainly table wines. And what happened in the 80s, you know, there has been a lot of new producers that came uh, to the region and they wanted to produce great wine and they did so um, not really following um, the rules at the time and, and it completely revolutionized the way wines are made there. And the Corbière is actually almost next door to the Rhone Valley and it's using the same grapes as the Rhone Valley but at a fraction of the cost. So if you like Rhone Valley wines at a fraction of the cost, this Corbière is delicious because, you know, People don't always follow the rules. You know, before they, we were starting to record this podcast, you know, I said to you, in life, we can do whatever we want. It's a, and this is quite a spicy wine. I mean, you've obviously grown up 
with wine at the table, Fred, it's, 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 it's almost religion in France, isn't it? And children are encouraged to try wines and um, to understand and appreciate the art of it all. And obviously your dad was, was picking grapes. So this wine has, has been a big part of your upbringing, I would imagine. I remember being at Catering College when I was 16 and I was a bit of a rebel. And I love to myself when I think about, you know, the meaning of the term rebel that I'm using now. Um, because we used to do these food parties in a dormitory because I was at boarding school at Catering College. And we were very lucky because we had private rooms, me and my friends. And every night we used to do this food party. We used to get the best cheese, the best ham, the best, uh, the best saucisson, and, and some of these the, the food like that, and drinking bottles of wine. And that was how rebellious we were because obviously you were not supposed to be at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, you know, having parties, <laughs> drinking wine and stuff like that. So so, I mean, at the time, you, you could smoke, you could do all these things. So we used to smoke cigarettes through the windows, you know, and eat camembert and Conte oh. and emmental cheese and, and slice some saucisson. But, you know, we were almost kind of, um, almost reverential with the food. And we were just eating that food and talking about how tasty and how good it was, talking about the producers and how it was produced and how it got to where it was here on the table that we had. And um, talking about life and ex existential problems that we were having as teenagers, mainly about girls. <laughs> Food and wine can always be a good balm for any matters of the heart, can't they, Fred? This is it. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I've always, that's why, you know, because, you know, we make sense of life through our senses. You know, it's about what we see, what we smell, what we hear, you know, the music that we hear, what we say, you know, and, and the feeling on our skin. And, and food is a big part of it. And, you know, I always feel sorry for people who, who say they don't enjoy food or, 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 or who have a kind of a restricted palate in the terms of, of what they like, because there is so much enjoyment uh, to, be, to, be, to, to be got from that. And I don't, I don't understand that you wouldn't want to explore. It's like if you like music, you know, I don't want to be constrained to one style. I mean, I love reggae, you know, uh, but I love rock and roll. I love uh, classical music. I love jazz. And I don't want to just think, okay, that, because there is, there is so much music that I enjoy, but there is so much more music that I don't know than the one that I know. You know, and for me, it's, it's the way that I approach life. There's more thing I know, that, there's more thing I don't know than thing that I know. And I always want to discover new things. And it's the same when you travel or when you meet people. People are people, they're always the same. But they're going to make you feel different because of who they are and about their journey in life and the exchange that we're going to have. And that is how exciting life is for me. And you get up in the morning and you think, what is going to happen today? You have an incredible appetite for life by the sounds of it. Um, yes. An appetite for new people, new experiences, knowledge. And I love the fact that you, you've, you've, you've kind of um, acknowledged that you, as for all that you know, there's so much more that you don't. And a lot of people kind of get stuck, at, certainly at our stage in life, where they think, well, you know, I'm kind of done now. And, and I, I've never understood that. I love that, that voracious appetite to learn more, do more, be more, understand yes, more. Yes, you know, and you can never take anything for granted, no matter where you are or who you think you are at the end of the day. You know, we're all blagging it, all of us. <laughs> True. And, and Fake we, it till you make it. <laughs> yes, and you have to be humble. You know, I mean, um, after this podcast, I'm going to Clapton uh, because um, Andy, Oliver and I are going to open a, a pop-up restaurant are you? Uh, yes so i'm not going to tell you too much about it we're going to announce it very soon but we're going to 
we're opening this restaurant and um, as you open a restaurant from scratch and we're not going to have a launch, you know, it's just going to go straight in from day one. It's not going to be easy. And with all my experience of front of house and service, I am actually telling you, I am breaking it. And, <laughs> and, and I'm, I, because it's not a given, it's going to be a success. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to make it a success. And it's all about the team that we're going to recruit and how we're going to train them and how we're going to be able to think about all the eventualities. I'm not thinking about what is going to go well. I'm thinking about everything that potentially will go wrong. And I need to think about everything. And if I haven't thought about something, I bet you that during service, that thing is going to come and bite me in the butt. So how did this come together? Because Andy Oliver, I love and adore. She's an incredible chef. She's had um, a, a variety of different uh, restaurants. Um, her daughter uh, is is also uh, fantastic and does a lot of uh, food content with her, Makita Oliver. Uh, you know, Andy Oliver and I uh, worked together on uh, Remarkable Places to Eat, where she took me to Morocco. And I didn't know Andy before that, but we, <laughs> eat, it off, we eat it off straight away. We had such a good time and, and we really like each other. I I went to see her at the kitchen at Wadadli when she opened it at the Crooked Billet pub. And I really liked it. And I was thinking, there is something there. Anyway, so I called her and I said, uh, Andy, I think that we should open a pop-up together. I've got a good idea. So let's meet for dinner and we can talk about it. And we did. And where can people go and experience this pop-up? Well, it's going to be in Clapton. It's going to be at the Clapton Country Club. We are going to open on the 20th of August. Uh, that's going to be our launch night. Uh, but we're going to make the announcement, all the official announcements from the 1st of August. So uh, watch out. It's all going to be there. So I don't want to tell you too much about it. because I'm But really you're excited, excited, Fred, I can tell. I'm very excited. So as soon as I finish the podcast, I'm going to go there. I've got an interview with a few staff um and um get the ball rolling you know so i mean let's go back to these magic moments and how you would pair the perfect wine to accompany the moment um i mean you choose your moments fred but but um can i ask that you drill into your life and find something that feels seminal something that maybe you couldn't replicate again uh something that that makes you smile when you think about it right i went to paris recently with fruitcake my partner my fiance and uh, we had this delicious bottle of Meursault by Xavier Monod uh, from 2017. Now, I was talking to you about labels before, right? Now, mm-hmm. Meursault is from Burgundy. It's one of the villages in Burgundy. Um, so when you look at uh, Burgundy, you know, you've got the region of Burgundy, and then you've got sub-regions, and then you've got within this sub-region, you've got villages. Now, Meursault is a particular village. Uh, most um, wine in in Burgundy that are made with white wine are made with Chardonnay, apart from an, a Sauvignon Saint-Brie, but let's not talk about that. So mainly Chardonnay. Anyway, Meursault is a delicious wine. And when you go into the villages, within these villages, you've got different winemakers. Now, different winemakers make different styles and different quality of wines. Now, this guy, Xavier Monod, makes a delicious pure nectar now when i say pure i mean pure in the essence of the extraction of the fruit the balance of the flavors the acidity um, the freshness the crispiness and the style of the wine which is the perfect example of the perfect way of making that wine 
And that wine was so rich in alcohol because as you swirl the wine, you could see the legs, you know, of the alcohol, you know, coming mm -hmm. down from the rim very, very slowly. But because it was so well balanced and the acidity was so well incorporated, it did not feel so rich and so alcoholic. But what you had there, as soon as you nosed it, like that, you swirl the glass in your, the wine in your glass and you smell it. And it's this pure essence of apricot and peaches that come into your oh. nose. And you're just, oh, you know, it's just, it's just too much, Kate. You know, it's just pure, <laughs> pure beauty. You know, it's like almost orgasmic, Fred. It's, yes, yes. You know, it's like the first time I listened to the Corn Concert by Keith Jarrett. You know that piece? Yes. Oh my God, that piece. You know that was. I mean, just thinking about it now, I want to cry because I remember how beautiful it was, and I remember the moment when my friend. Uh, in New York, introduced me to that piece, which I didn't know. So I was maybe 25 when I first got introduced to that piece. And and every time I listen to the Cold Concert, I just I'm just completely overwhelmed with that that beauty from from that piece of music. And this is exactly the same thing with that wine. You know, is that level? And this is this is one of the little things in life that you have that just make you feel so good. You know, yeah. and that could be. You know, like the way you're smiling now, I can see you on Zoom, you know, yeah. and this exchange, you know, and you, you think about well, and you I, will always remember that because this is what life is about. People listening now will be referencing that uh, their own musical moment that transcended all others, that, you know, that one piece of music. And quite often with music, you'll find that it comes from nowhere and you might not like anything else in that style or from that artist, but there's just something that that claims your ears and travels all the way from your ears into your heart and just stays there. Yeah, no, that beauty, that beauty. I mean, beauty is, uh, in fact, is, I find it fascinating because it's a philosophical concept. You know, when mm -hmm. you're thinking about the Greeks, you know, for example, you know, when, when they were in these philosophical schools, they used to study beauty, the meaning of beauty. And... Um, I, I think that there is so much there. What is beauty? What can we consider as beauty? How do we find beauty? Do we look for it? You know, and and how exciting is that concept of beauty? You know, and this is this is something I'm always looking for beauty. I want to find it. I'm addicted to it. Well, but shouldn't that be our quest in life is to find those those, ah, those pivotal, beautiful moments? Don't you think? The meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? You know, it's, I mean, it's to we feel all good, have, right? It's Sorry? to grow, learn, is to feel good. That's what we're all chasing, is the goodness. I, I agree with you. I mean, that's what Socrates was saying. The meaning of life is about the pursuit of virtue, being, yeah. basically knowing what is good and bad, right and wrong. And this is the approach I'm taking with this pop-up, because we have to create an amazing experience for the guests who are going to go there. And it's the, re it's the research of that, that, that virtue, that beauty. What is the good? And you know when you're talking about when you're talking about customer service, there's no gray. Either it's good or it's bad. There yeah. is no there's no middle ground there. And we have to know what we're looking for. But then again, you have to think what is beauty. So you've got to put yourself in the customer's shoes and walk that customer journey and stop yeah. at each touch point to make sure that everything is on point, all the interactions, and see it from their own eyes. But you know when you are. When you're working, you know, in customer service, and I've done lots of work with so many organizations, you know, in terms of their training and, 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 um, and preparing their team, you know, be it in the restaurant world or I did a lot of work in the car industry, in the car, car manufacturing and car dealerships. You know, 
A lot of people do not understand what good is and what good looks like. And they don't think about it uh, because I, I don't know why people, people sometimes, you know, have, they don't think about what their vision is and how they can translate that vision into action, into visible action that people can see on the ground. And that, that's, that's, that's the whole game. That's what it's about. Good service is transformative, Fred, because I think, I think you can walk into the finest restaurant in the world in the anticipation of eating the greatest food. But if before you sit down, you are greeted with a smile, you are informed as you're past the wine list and the menu and the staff heighten that experience, then your palate is so much more open to every aspect of that experience. Wouldn't you agree? If, if you can eat, walk in and eat the greatest food, but if the service is terrible, that's what you'll walk away remembering. That's it. And this is, you know, this is, this is the thing, you know, because restaurants, you know, traditionally have, have always been geared towards the chef. You know, the chef is the most important person. But actually, the chef is not the most important person. He's 50% of, of the jigsaw. And the other mm -hmm. 50% is the front of house. And uh, nowadays, when quality is really omnipresent, you can find quality anywhere. You can find great food anywhere. You know, what is it that's going to make a difference? And, and the most difficult thing to do, really, is the service because it's about people and it's about the ability of people to deliver an experience regardless of how they feel inside. Sometimes you can meet a waiter and it could be the saddest person inside them. It's like clowns in the, in the, in the circus. You know, they say that clowns are very sad people. And comedians. Like, that's right. And then when they perform, they make people laugh. And you think, oh, my mm -hmm. God, isn't he funny? Isn't she great? But actually inside, you know, they're dying, you know, and they're sad. And, and that's the sad thing. But when you are in service, like when you are delivering like that, you've got to deliver it. The show must go on and you've got to be able to put it on. That's the yeah. nature of the job. It's about that performance. That, take me back to that piece of music that you discovered that, that transcended all other musical moments. If, if you could take yourself back to that now and pair that with the glass of, of something that really heightened that moment, what would your wine be in that moment? Oh, there are so many, so many, so many wines. You put me on the spot here. Uh, Sorry. I mean, look, there are simple wines, you know, that you can go to. There is a, a beautiful wine from uh, M&S, again, from the Classics range, which is a Sauvignon Blanc de Touraine, uh, which is not the wine oh. that you've got. I did not send it to you. No, but, I drink that all the time, though. But what I like about that Sauvignon Blanc is that it's the perfect essence of what a Sauvignon Blanc is. And uh, when I first tried it, I remember a session that I had at Catering College, uh, in fact, you know, years ago when I was trying Sauvignon Blanc for the very first time and the teacher, our uh, wine teacher said, you see, this is a typical example of what the Sauvignon Blanc is. That, that's, and, and again, it's, it's about that purity. And when you get to the purity like that, you get to the very essence, you get to the bottom of things, you get to the truth. And this is what I like about that corn concert because it's really pure and it's very true. It's not hiding anything. It's very raw in emotions. And the same for that Sauvignon Blanc. It just gets to the bottom there. And this is it. You have gone to where you wanted to go and you've reached truth. And that's, for me, that's the beauty of the moment. So I need one more moment from you, Fred. One more magical, memorable moment that you would then pair with a wine that we haven't discussed. Right. I recently tried a beautiful Rioja, which is the Valencisco uh, Rioja Reserva 2008. Now, this wine has won loads and loads and loads of awards. Um, I've drunk it at my good friend uh, José Pizarro in his restaurant in Bermondsey. I don't know if you've ever been there. Yes. 
Um, it's, it's, it's so tucked away as well. You just wouldn't know, would you? Yeah, but it's so cool, Bermondsey. Oh, so cool. Yeah, I, I love, like it. I love Bermondsey Street. And um, I love Oyoka because I, I, I love Spanish food. And uh, I, I'm very, very fond of Oyoka. But that Oyoka, again, you know, the fruit in that wine, um, the, 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 the tannin, the smokiness, uh, the leather notes, uh, and it's kind of animal notes. You know, when you've got an animal leather note, when I, when I have a wine like that, that's, that's so complex and has got such depth, you know, I, I swirl the, the, the wine in the glass and I smell it. And for me, the most pleasure I get when I drink a wine is from my nose. And I know I've really? got a long nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because really? this is where you get really the aroma of the wine. If I can't smell the wine, I mean, I even smell beer. I smell everything. I smell wine, I smell rooms, I smell people when I meet them. So I look at people and I smell them. I always smell them. And I like people that smell nice, you know, and sometimes yeah. they have perfume, sometimes they don't have perfume. So my nose for me is a very important tool. But anyway, in wine tasting, you need a good nose. And what it is about is about training your nose to recognize the flavors and the aromas of the wine. So you swirl the glass and you put your, your nose inside the glass and you close your eyes and you smell. And you then recognize the aromas. And when I, I tried that ayoka, it was very clear, you know, you've got that very animally leather uh, 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 notes. And basically, all I, all, it's like I am walking inside a stable. And there I can see the horses, this animal smell. And I can see the saddle on top of the horse. And this is me, and I'm in a glass of wine, and I'm smelling it. You see what I mean? <laughs> and then, and then I go further, and I can I can feel these ripe fruits, you know, which are kind of on the basket on the table, and they are really ripe. It's a hot summer's day, and they're ripe, and they're ready to go. They're almost ready to rot. They are so ripe, but they're ready to eat. And you've got these beautiful oaky vanilla flavors from the barrels of the wine, where the wine has been matured. And, and this is the first, really, the first indication of what the wine is going to be like and what it tastes like. And as you leave the wine and, I mean, you keep drinking, you drink the wine then, you know, but as you leave the wine and, and, and time passes, the wine will evolve because the oxygen will oxidize the wine and liberate even more aromas. And this is when you say the wine has got to breathe. And the wine like that has to breathe. It's a bit like a relationship. It's a bit like a person. You meet them, and then as you know them, you know, they open up themselves and they tell you more about them. And this is what wine tasting is about. But you cannot enjoy and try wines and really appreciate them without smelling them first because half the pleasure is through your nose. For you, that's the foreplay, almost. Oh, I love foreplay. <laughs> with your nose, I hope. <laughs> Not only with my nose. <laughs> Oh, Fred, you're making me blush. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's move on to lessons in love, actually, because obviously you... Um, you came to, to public consciousness here in the UK um, as, as almost the Yoda of love, if you like. Um, and you wax lyrical on first dates and you give us these kind of, these, these really succinct little essays about love and life and lessons. And, and what we should all be looking for is people embark with hope in their heart as they sit across the dinner table looking for love. So I mm. wondered if you could share with me First and foremost, the hardest lesson you've learned in love, but also then, secondly, the most valuable lesson you've learned in love. Well, I think that it's, it's your ability to look inside your heart and know what is in there. And, you know, I think that all of us, we really have very few real relationships with people that we trust, because tr- trust at the end of the day is at the very heart of it. You know, they say that in, 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 in religion, trust is the basis of love. And, and this is true. And it's the same in business. You know, without trust, there is no loyalty. So this is why we have to deliver every single time. So it's about that trust. And it's about that ability to recognize trust and to use your judgment to see that trust and to be able to recognize the commitment that others have. And when you think of that, you know, Nobody is going to be ever perfect. And, um, you know, people will disappoint us from time to time. They will do silly things. Um, They will do things that we don't like. But so do we. And we have to be able to recognize that in others and forgive them and forget. And just like we have to be able to forgive ourselves and forget. But also, you know, sometimes we can say, oh, well, I'm only human. And when we say, I don't like to say that because that gives me excuse. And I don't mm. justify my short uh, falling and my failings. You know, I want to be better than that. So I don't want to say, I'm going to say, yeah, I, I messed up. I'm sorry, I messed up. And, but there's no point to say I'm sorry if you're not going to do better next time. You have to remember. And change is the, is the hardest thing uh, to come about when, when we do something that's wrong. To make sure that we act on the change that we say we're going to change and make sure that we change it for the better. Um, but for me, it's, it's that commitment and, and that recognition and that appreciation of the love that other people have. And if other people love us and if we love them, really, we've got to, we've got to act accordingly. You know, I mean, you know, in relationship, for example, and we've all done that. I mean, I've done that. You know, we expect others to make the first move first. Well, it's my job to be charming first. It's my job to be kind first. It's my job to give first and to give generously. You know, and instead of waiting for somebody to give it to me, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give yeah. it to you without expecting anything in return, just because that's the way to be and that's the only way to be. And if I get something back, it's great. And if I don't get something back, it's your loss. But it's not about that I'm waiting for your loss or anything like that. I want to just do it because it's from the goodness of my own heart. And if I'm doing it with the right person, people will give it back to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you, I mean, like many others, we've all been disappointed by people. But I think that we owe it to ourselves to be the person that we want to be and to be the person that we want to be through other people. So, for example, today we have this podcast. 
I cannot afford to be late. Now, I've done things where people are late. They are 10, 15 minutes late. I don't think that's acceptable. For me, if we are going to have a relationship together, Kate, I've got to log on on time because I want to make sure that I deliver. Because if I start like this, then you know you can trust me. And next time we do something together, then you know, well, Fred is reliable. And at least I can love Fred. And I can love Fred for that. So there has to be a start. And I think that's very important. But these are the small things. And when we're talking before, we're talking about service. You know, we're talking about, you were talking about the welcome. You know, you have to have the right welcome and it has to start there and then. Because if you don't, then you don't deliver trust. And when you're thinking about customer service, all these touch points are there to deliver trust. And the way you deliver trust is what you do and how you do it. But how did you learn that? Because there's wisdom wrapped around everything that you're saying. Did, is that something, is, is, were you inherently built like that, raised like that, or is that something you've had to learn? Um, I am on a quest to be the best person I can be. And I'm not there yet. I'm far from being there yet, uh, Kate. But I want to be there. And every day I'm working on it. And every day I'm thinking, I've done this well, I didn't do this well. I talk to myself. And um, it's about the conditioning of the mind and the conditioning of my, of, of me. I want to, you know, just like if you are a sportsman and you want to be good at 100 meters, you've got to condition your body at sprinting. And you've got to do all sorts of uh, related exercises to get you to be a better sprinter. And if I want to be a good human being, this is what I've got to do. And, mm-hmm. and, and actions speak louder than words. And this is what I have to do. And, uh, and, and I can't take a day off. You know, there's no day off here. You've got to do it every day. And you've got to work on yourself every day. And some days I'm better than others. But you're also a man that grabs opportunity. You, you look at your career, even, even your romance with Fruitcake, you know, a chance meeting on the street. Oh. And, and look, I love the romance of that, Fred. That I was so beautiful, you know. It was a bit like that. When I saw you, I fell in love and you smiled because you knew. It was like that. That's uh, simple. Yes. And uh, we went for a drink and we were all over each other. And uh, the rest is history, as I say. You've got to be ready in your heart and in your mind and in your guts too that this is something that you would like to happen. And when the opportunity presents itself, you've got to be able to recognize it and be brave and, and do it. And sometimes you're going to commit yourself to someone and it's not going to work out and sometimes it's going to work out, you know. So I think you just have to try. You just have to give it a go. And again, it, it's about these you know, these touch points that we're talking about, you know, and it starts well, you can trust people, then they do another thing and you can trust them and everything like that. And if it doesn't go well, you can pull them up on it and discuss it. And it's, it's about communication and making sure it's very difficult to get people to understand you and to um, hear what you say and understand truly the meaning of what you're trying. This is very hard. Communication is the hardest thing mm-hmm. to say what you mean and to ensure that these words are actually understood the way you understand them in your head. Because sometimes I think something and I explain it and it's not clear. Mm. It may be clear with the way I say it, but the way it goes into somebody's ear and into their brain and how they process that information is not the way that I said it. So um, it's not obvious until it's obvious. And one need to work at that, to talk about it and ensure that it, that it's right. So, but, you know, with online dating, I think that why not? But 
what I would say is once you've met online and you've made a connection and you say, uh, okay, I want to meet, then that's it. You've got to stop talking online. You've got to yeah. meet them. Because what's the point to go online, blah, 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 tack, oh, yeah, you look lovely and this and that. This is all fake. Have you ever done it, Fred? Have you ever done online dating? Yes, I have, yeah. And how did you find it? Okay, I mean, look, I, uh, I'm i old school, you know. I think that it's, uh, I, I quite like to go into, I mean, not that I'm doing it right now, you know, but going into bars and meeting somebody and saying, hi, how are you? Yeah, I do, old school. I mean, I'm from the 80s, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. But you know, the thing also, from my experience of dating, but not my experience, my personal experience, my experience of helping people with dating on first dates, and I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, is a lot of people are very shy. And they do not dare to say what they want, or they do not dare to be who they want to be. And they are, they are worried about how they come across, how they're going to be perceived. And that confidence uh, sometimes is lacking in people. And confidence is the most exciting thing. You know, that's the most attractive thing for, uh, for people. If you got confident and you know who you are and, and you're happy with who you are and you can just say confidently what you want and what you're after and, and you're a good person, it will show. And this is what people need is, is just they need to just have the confidence. And this is, again, this is something that you practice. And you just yeah. say, and uh, you just say what you want, and you just say what you feel. But when you are able to have that level of communication, that honesty, and being able to feel that you can say confidently what you want without blushing or without feeling that you're a bad person or that you are a sinful person or you know whatever things that you've got in your head, then this is when you know you're on the right way because you only have one life. Why should you be? I mean. A, a, a friend of mine was telling me the other day about his um, his, um, his his nephew, who unfortunately passed away. And um, um, he, two years before he passed away, he came out as gay. And uh, but it was only two years before, you know. And he was being his real self. But it took him until he was thirty-five to come out. You know what wow. I mean? So. That's a that's a waste of life, isn't it? In so it many is ways. a waste, but uh, unfortunately, he couldn't do it before he was ready. But mm -hmm. when are we ready? When are we going to wait? Now, you know, uh, when we are young, we're talking about sex again. You know, I mean, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, uh, years ago, and she was saying to me, oh, yeah, now sex is very different because I'm over 40 and, you know, I know what I want. I know my body. But it comes also because of the confidence Totally. I have complete confidence now because I just think it, I am what I am. It is what it is. I like who I am. But I think I was in a very different mindset in my 20s and probably also in my 30s. And I wish I could give 20-year-old men and women everywhere my 47-year-old confidence. That's and it. That's what it is. With it. Don't I mean, wait. I mean, literally, gravity is no longer my friend, but everything else is working, so it's fine. <laughs> brilliant. But, you know, it's, 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 it's about that... Um, you know that that experience and 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 growing and you said something very important is i like me you like yourself and it's true that when i was 20 i i, I like myself much more than when i was 20 and i think i'm a better human being than when i was 20 i think it's just about you know that overall knowledge experience wisdom you know and and that sense of confidence of self of knowing what is good and what is bad and and having made the right choices that's what it is and this is why you know when 
hard ones as well, because, you know, the, the best lessons are the hardest often, aren't they? Yeah, I've never enjoyed sex as much as now. Really? Yeah, and what do, you think, do you think that's a confidence thing? Yeah, a confidence thing. Um, meeting uh, a, a, another person who feels exactly the same way as me. And, um, yeah, and he's great. I'm just smiling every morning. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> you found the Lennon to your McCartney, haven't you? That's it. <laughs> okay, I'm in lockdown. I've watched remarkable places to eat over oh. and over again. And I, I keep, every time it comes on my Sky Planner, I think, oh, is it a new series? No, of course it's not. We're in lockdown. You can't go anywhere. Um, so I've, I've been to Venice with you. I've been to Scotland with you. I've been to Morocco with you and Andy Oliver. I love that show. So what I wanted to do was ask you to shake out your little black book, Fred, and take me on a journey where we can trip the light fantastic and go anywhere for the following. The most remarkable cocktail the most incredible starter, a sensational fish course, a main course, and then a dessert or a cheese board. We can go anywhere in the world. Let's do a night of amazing food and drink in the very best, most remarkable places. Okay. Um, a great cocktail. I'll tell you one thing. Merlin Griffith, who's the bartender on first date, makes a delicious, but really delicious, porn star martini. And I love that cocktail. I love it. And he makes it so well. So if you could be in the first date restaurant and have that cocktail, I think that would be a very good start to your evening because it's absolutely delicious. And what does he put in it, Fred? What goes into his porn star martini? Well, he makes it with vodka, passion fruit. Uh, and on the side, you've got a nice glass of champagne or Prosecco, you know, uh, which is a, a little shot. And uh, it's just lovely to have that balance between you've got the cocktail, you know, that kind of sweetish cocktail with the champagne. And the idea is that you just drink one after the other or together or you can pour the champagne in the glass. It's beautiful. Puts a spring in the step. So then where are we going to go for an incredible starter? Right. Before we have a starter, we're going to yeah. go to my friend Michele Caggianese, who is truly the Ronaldo of restaurants in London. Really? But nobody knows about him too much, although the people in the know know about him because he runs one of the most private and exclusive club in the world. It's called Oswald. It's an amazing place. I have never seen anything like it. And um, I would go there and have a glass of Krug. <sighs> I mean, when you drink a glass of Krug, I mean, I don't drink Krug every day. Um, um, but when I drink Krug, you know that it's like, let's say, you know, if you're being chauffeured in a nice car and suddenly you get into a beautiful Bentley in a Mulsanne, which is a beautiful car, and you sit at the back and you're being driven, you know that you're being driven in a nice car. And when you drink a Krug, you know that you're drinking, I mean, the top champagne in the world. This is so delicious. And, you know, if you drink it in a beautiful crystal glass, very light, very beautiful, it tastes even better, nice and fresh. This is bliss. So Oswald's, okay, so so we're nicely set up for the evening. We've had a cocktail. We've had the most sublime glass of Krug. Um, then where are we going, Fred? 
And then we can go on the Atlantic coast oh. in any of uh, the small bars there that do sell oysters. And I love to go when I'm on holiday with my dad and we go and have 12 oysters each with a glass of white wine. We get the local white wine and we got some beautiful oysters. Like if you go to the Bassin d'Arcachon, for example, Mm-hmm. And um, you just have these beautiful, fatty oysters. I mean, I love that. I love oysters so much. How do you um, take yours? Is it just with a squeeze of lemon? Do you have the shallot and the, 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 the red wine vinegar? How do you do yours? So 75% to 80% of the time is just with a touch of lemon. And I love mm-hmm. to chew them. Uh, the other 25 or 30% is with shallots and vinegar. I'm not into all this Tabasco, blah, 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 blah. I'm a purist. I like it really pure, you know. Um, I love to have them with some nice, beautiful beurre déchiré, which is a top quality French butter, you know, a salty butter with some bread. Oh, la, la. I mean, this is just too much when you have that. So where are we heading off to after, after we've done the oysters? Now, there is a beautiful restaurant that I recommend you go to if you are ever in this part of the world on the Almalfi coast. In Positano, it's called Che Black. So check out this place on Instagram, Che Black. It's run by the family since 1949. The maitre d' is the most beautiful maitre d', the most handsome man you could find. And I recommend you check him out on Instagram, Kate. <laughs> okay, what's his name? His name is Gianfranco. Uh-huh. But he's got this way with people. And if you go there, you would be under the charm. And you would want to kiss him straight away, but you may not kiss him. Anyway, for the starter, they do this beautiful raw fish platter, which is mm-hmm. absolutely delicious. So they're very famous on the Almafi coast to do this raw fish, you know, raw prawns, raw sea bass, salmon, tuna. And it's kind of a sushi sashimi experience, but it's an Italian style one. And this is just incredible. It's so good. Uh, you just, I mean, you could just have that for your meal. Do you know what I mean? You could just have that, but I'm greedy. So then I'm going to take you to San Sebastian, to this place where Nisha Katona and I, and we had this beautiful steak at Casa Julian, because that was truly the best steak I've had in my life. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, death row steak. That's what it was. A death row steak that good. It was this good. How do you like the steak? Oh, this one was as rare as it came. I mean, it was rare. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But I would have it this time with my dad's French fries because my dad makes the best French fries in the world. I don't know how he does it. It doesn't matter the potato, the season, or the time of the day. They are all perfect. And it's just incredible. Without steak, that would be the best with a nice salad. What does he do with it with his potatoes to make those French fries so good? Well, he cut them with his knife, so they are all sort of sizes, but they are kind of on a small side. And then he blanched them, and then he leave them for a few minutes in his fryer, which is always situated outside of the garden, so it doesn't smell up the house. And then he put them back in for another ten minutes or so, and they're ready, and they're just delicious. So we've had. Oh God, I'm so hungry now, Fred. We've had an incredible. Um, I'm not finished. I mean, no, no, beautiful fish. We've had meat. Now where are we going? Now we're going to Paris. We're going <laughs> to a lovely brasserie in Paris and we're going to have a Saint-Marcelin. It's a beautiful cheese. Very, oh, very... It, it's a round cheese. It's creamy. It's too big for one person. 
but it's so good and it's so fatty and what the hell? Cheers. What the hell? Oh my God, that's Saint Marcelin, my God, with a nice bread on the side, nicely toasted. Just that Saint Marcelin and the bread. Now you're gonna have to have a bit of uh, wine with it. Yeah. And possibly I would go for a burgundy, like a Chambol Musigny, which is 100% Pinot Noir, very soft, uh, very elegant, fruity, something a bit aged, you know, so you would have this older characteristic for the wine that, that would come in, but that'd be beautiful with a nice glass of uh, Chambol Musigny. And are we going to bother with dessert or are we just going to do the cheese? Well, for dessert... Uh, we could go to my parents and my mom's make a delicious mousse au chocolat, which is a chocolate mousse, old mm. school, just a mousse au chocolat. And you just have a spoon like that. And this is the kind of mousse au chocolat that when you finish what's in your plate and the dish is finished, you go and and finish off the, the dish. You know, you just put it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it. it's so good. Yeah. Oh, Fred, that sounds like the most perfect evening. Uh, an amazing way to destroy your waistline and ignite your palate. <laughs> well, you just have to do exercises in the morning, you know, to just get all the extra calories. That's what I do. Thank you so much for your time today, Fred. Um, I really hope that we get to brush shoulders in the in the locality. I'm only down the road from you. We're neighbours. We're neighbours, exactly. It's been, it's been an education. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week. As always, White Wine Question Time is produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Richard Hatherall for Yahoo UK. Editing is by Callum Goddard-Mucklow. Our music, as always, is provided by Andy Bell. Don't forget you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at WhiteWineQT. And please try to do as we always do and drink responsibly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.